0: Well, good morning. So glad that you all could be with us this morning to worship together and to open up God's Word. And you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to pick up again this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, there have been Bibles provided in the middle aisles there, uh, and we would love for you to use those. And if you don't have one, please take that with you. Um, We would love to give that to you as our gift. This morning, we're going to continue with our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We took a one-week break last week for Easter, but we're back. And so far in the sermon, we've seen Jesus give two descriptions of his kingdom. The first is in the Beatitudes. Jesus describes what every Christian's character is going to look like. He said things like, the Christian will be poor in spirit. The Christian will mourn over sin, have meekness, hunger for righteousness. And secondly, he said that he described basically the impact of Christians and what they will do in this world, being salt and light. And now today we begin to focus on the next theme for Jesus, that he's going to finish the rest of chapter 5 and on into 6 and 7, which is Jesus and the law. Our favorite topic, right? In one of the first commentaries I read this week in preparation, it said Matthew 5, 17 through 20 are among the most difficult verses in the Bible. Now, you see why Matt went on sabbatical. (laughs) But we will take up the baton and run with it. So up to this point, Jesus has described his kingdom in a manner that would be foreign to his listeners, I think. Those who want to have his kingdom, to enter his kingdom, have nothing that they can offer him. Jesus talks about his kingdom is all about grace. In other words, he hasn't said anything about the law yet. His listeners, being Jewish, would have found this a little surprising because they held the law in such high regard. They would have asked, is Jesus in his kingdom at odds with the law in the Old Testament? Is he doing away with the law? But before we get to our text, let's take a brief look at the law. In the Bible, when an author talks about the law, he can mean a lot of different things. He could mean the Ten Commandments. He could mean the First five books of the Bible. He could mean the whole thing, all of the Old Testament. And in our text today, Jesus quotes the law and or the prophets. So he's referencing the full Old Testament. But let's dig in a little bit further, and I want to give us an idea of how extensive the treatment of the law was for the Jews, for us to understand what we're talking about today. The law for the Jews, or the Torah, would have been the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And in these books of the Bible, there were 613 commandments. How about that for a to-do list? 248 of those were positive, you shall do this. And 365 were negative, you shall not do this. And within these commandments, there were three types of laws. There were ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. So let me give you a quick overview. Ceremonial laws would have been how the people of Israel should have related to God. They included things like the food laws. They would have included things like festivals and offerings and ultimately the sacrificial system. God required an animal sacrifice for their sin. And then the civil laws. Those laws were specific to the nation of Israel and how God wanted his people to act within the community and with those neighboring countries or nations. These would have included things like how to deal with Sabbath keeping and how to, to carry out warfare, what to do with debt or an inheritance or Sabbath keeping, just to name a few. And then finally, the moral laws. Those were structured after God's character, that you should have no idols, that you should love God and love your neighbor. You shall not steal or lie or commit sexual sin. So now you begin to see how extensive the law really was. And the fact that Jesus hadn't said anything would be a little bit of alarming to them. And you can also see how people at this time would look up to the Pharisees, Right? They look like they are keeping the law. And yet, the law in all of the Old Testament was not merely about an outward conformity, not merely an outward obedience. What that was all about was God making a promise of a relationship. He said from Abraham that I am going to set apart a people They will be my people, and I will be their God. So ultimately, this was about a covenant, a marriage, a relationship. And what God required in all of this was love for him. Not just mere manipulation of the law or external obedience for your own social good, but to love him. And if you love God, you want to please him not merely do the minimum that's required. It's not an external appearance of obedience, but it's a deep-rooted, heartfelt love for God and his commandments, and doing all of that out of joy. So Jesus is going to make two overarching points in our text today about how he relates to the law, and how we relate to the law. First, Jesus is going to talk about fulfilling the law. He doesn't destroy it. He doesn't replace it. Everything in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, points to him. Or to put another way, there's continuity between what the Old Testament laws were shooting at and what Jesus says. And then secondly, because of this continuity, the Old Testament law and Jesus saying the same thing, we are called to obey both of them. But unlike the Pharisees and the scribes, who see obedience only as external conformity, Jesus sees our obedience as a matter of the heart. We obey because we love Jesus. To enter the kingdom of heaven means to come under God's rule, to become one of those who recognize his kingship and live by its standards to be God's true people. Let's look to God's Word. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? We're going to start in verse 17 of Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated. So two steps today. Here's where we're going. First, we're going to touch on Christ and the law. And then we will follow up with us and the law. So verses 17 and 18, Christ and the law. For the Jews, the law was authoritative in all areas of life. Since the days of Moses, they had been told by God to always remember the law. They were to read it, to memorize it to try to pursue living it out in their daily lives. And the law clearly had authority over the people of God. And then comes Jesus. He enters in and he talks about bringing this kingdom. He talks at the beginning of his ministry here that this kingdom that had been promised all the way back in the time of Abraham had come. He tells everyone that entrance into his kingdom is not possible By law-keeping. Only by a gift of grace. So the Jews, as you might imagine, must be wondering how the law fits into the kingdom. Are they at odds? Is it the law is no longer useful or necessary? And Jesus answers here firmly that he has not come to do away with the law. See verses 17 and 18. He says, I don't come to abolish the law. Not even an iota or a dot will be removed or passed away from the law. And in fact, he upholds them. Because later on, he says, whoever relaxes even one of the least of these commandments will be called least. But whoever does them, does them from a heart that loves God, that person, that follower, will be called great. So even if you don't know exactly what Jesus means by fulfilling the law or the prophets, which we're going to come to in a minute, it's pretty clear that Jesus says the law is here to stay. The law continues. The Old Testament and all of its commandments and all of its promises still matter. The question is why? The law serves a purpose until, quote here, heaven and earth pass away until all is accomplished. Verse 18. The continuation of the law was important in order to produce righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees. That's what a follower of Jesus would look like. So let's ask ourselves... The negative. What would have happened if Jesus had come to abolish the Old Testament? He would have basically been saying that everything that you were told about God from before and everything you thought you knew about Him, just forget it. It doesn't matter. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying everything you knew about God before, it's true. And even more so, it's true in me. One commentator summarized it this way. The Old Testament is the gospel in bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flower. Basically, in Jesus, we see more clearly how the law is to be followed and fulfilled. It's the same law. It hasn't changed. But it's come from bud and now it's in flower. The radical demands of God and His righteousness have not changed. There's more continuity than discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New. The means by which we relate to God have always been the same, it's always been grace, it's always been a gift that He gives. And we could never earn it. We don't deserve it, and that hasn't changed. It was true in the Old Testament days, and it's true now in Jesus. So what has changed? What does Christ fulfilling the law mean? We've seen Jesus emphasize that the law is here to stay. And now, let's look at what fulfilling that law looks like. God's message of redemption, and the coming of God's kingdom in Jesus depend on the law and the prophets being fulfilled. His kingdom depend on the law and the prophets being fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. Fulfill it in this sense, that everything that's contained in it was pointing to him. All of the promises, all of the requirements... The righteousness that was necessary to relate to God, everything, all of it, was being pointed to the one who would come, the Messiah, who would fulfill all the promises and requirements of the Old Testament. Jesus didn't understand himself without the law. His entire mission was to fulfill the law. His life was lived out of complete love and of full submission to God the Father. So Jesus actually fulfilled the demands of the law, which was perfection, and he fulfilled the purpose of the law, which was that we would trust in and love God. Jesus did that for us. So Jesus comes to fulfill the law so that we would understand the true purpose and meaning of the law. He's speaking here of more than just mere obedience to regulations. That was part of the problem of the Pharisees, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He wants obedience from a heart that loves God, complete submission to God's will, and without complaint, no grumbling. That's love, and that's exactly what Jesus came to fulfill. Now, at this point in his ministry, we can't fully understand the fulfillment of the law. We've got to look forward to what Jesus came to do. His mission was to live a perfect life, and that's true, he did that. But it was also to die for sin. That was the penalty. And until his death and resurrection, we couldn't see, they couldn't see, how Jesus fulfilled all righteousness and the fact that Jesus would give us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who enables his followers to fulfill the law, to walk in the law, to pursue righteousness, which would be a higher standard of righteousness than the Pharisees or what you could do on your own. So I think it's important the fulfillment that Jesus comes, the whole law and the prophets point to him, and he fulfilled it perfectly in his life, in his death and in his resurrection, that was what the law required, and Jesus saw himself that way. Paul writes it this way in Second Corinthians one twenty: "For all the promises of God find their yes in Him." God's promises stand on the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law. That's good news. For us who cannot fulfill the law. Maybe a helpful contrast, uh, this past week I was listening uh, to a podcast and it was with a professor, Philip Tetlock, and he's a leading scholar uh, when it comes to forecasting and prediction. So the contrast here is going to be God's fulfillment and projection of all of his promises and human forecasting and prediction. So Tetlock basically studies this, and he's written a couple books. One's Expert Political Judgment, and another one's Super Forecasting, The Art and Science of Prediction. Basically, he's analyzing so-called experts' ability to predict results and how that compares with the average layperson. Well, he's looking at different things like political outcomes and elections, military success, weather forecasting, and even investment and market predictions. And what he concludes is that humans aren't very good at that, even the experts. Uh, We know that by the weather, right? Um, And I know that by what I do with investments, right? People get that wrong all the time. We're terrible at it. And we're no better than the average layperson. And here's the deal. He concludes that for periods longer than a year, and where it results from many different factors, were even worse. How different is that than God? He picks a people who were not a people. He says, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. By the way, this was thousands of years ago. And he makes promises and commitments, and he requires them to act a certain way. And through thousands of years, generation after generation of us getting it wrong, the Jews getting it wrong, God says, I have fulfilled that in Jesus. Every single one of those promises is yes in Him. Does that not blow your mind? It should cause us to worship. So Christ came and fulfilled the law. Now, What part of the law is accomplished in Jesus and therefore doesn't continue? There's a couple things. Jesus has fulfilled the law so that we don't continue with the ceremonial system, right? The ceremonial system was all about sacrifice and about what priests had to do and about the temple. All of that has been fulfilled in Christ with his death and resurrection, And secondly, the civil laws were finalized in Christ because in the Old Testament, he had chosen a nation, a specific people to be set apart. And now through Jesus, the gospel goes out to all people, all nations. And so Jesus gives us the end of the civil law requirements. Those were fulfilled in him. Now what remains is, is the moral law. And because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, you and I, followers in his kingdom, are called and now able to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to obey the moral law. So, Christ and the law. Now we come to our second point, us and the law. So we've said, the law remains. If you look at our text again, verse 19 has this big, huge, therefore. Because these things are true, here's what it means. And this part is for us. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, then later in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus means business. We shouldn't shy away from the seriousness at which Jesus says this about those who are in his kingdom. It's not optional for us to decide which we're going to pick and choose, which rules to follow. God's given us the instruction manual. He's told us what we are called to do. So, because Jesus came to fulfill the law, he validates that the law is still important for us and those who want to follow him. Verse 19 and 20 are our instructions. If you are part of Christ's kingdom, then the law remains. We've seen that. Not as a means to earn favor with God, though but to show us how we are to live and love in a way that honors and reflects God. In fact, greatness here in the kingdom is measured by conformity to the law. The doer and the teacher of the commandments, verse 19, will be called great in the kingdom. Followers of Jesus want to conform to the law and they want to teach others the same. I wonder how that lands on us today. I don't think the people listening to Jesus at the time would have been surprised by this. We've already talked about how they were surprised he waited so long to talk about the law. And I think we've got the other problem. I think we're surprised that the law still matters. Isn't it all about grace? Yes and yes. It's about both. They work hand in hand. How can we make sure that we don't relax the law or try to manipulate it for our own good, like the Pharisees? How can we have a righteousness that exceeds the ones who wanted to follow the law in the first place? Those super spiritual Pharisees. It's possible, friends, because Jesus fulfilled the law and because there is another promise in the prophet's. That we need to look at. The promise is that of the new covenant. We've talked about it. When we celebrated communion. This morning. That Jesus would still require. Obedience to the law. But that God. Would make it. Possible. For us to do that. It's the promise of the new covenant. And here's where it it shows up. Jeremiah 31. Starting in verse 31. I'll read it for you. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Also in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So Christ fulfills the promise of the prophets to bring this about, to bring about a righteousness in the people of God, not by reducing the requirement, but by giving them the power to obey, giving us the power to obey. The followers of Jesus have a new ability, this new heart, and a new helper, the Spirit, so that we love to do what God commands. So what was it that made the scribes and Pharisees and their outward righteousness insufficient? He says it's not sufficient. Basically, they made the law's demands less demanding, and they made the law's permissions more permissive. The rest of chapter 5, we're going to see this. We're going to go into great detail about how the Pharisees got it wrong. They interpreted the law the wrong way. And it almost seems like Jesus is really raising the stakes here. Let me give you two brief examples. Murder. He's going to say you shouldn't murder. We all know that. Pharisees know that. But what he says, and what Jesus and the law aim at, is the heart. Do you have anger in your heart towards anybody? That's the breaking of the law. That's not what should be representative in Christ's people, in his kingdom. Second, divorce. Divorce was intended to be very restrictive. But at this time, apparently, it was just being handed out left and right. You have a whim, you want to get rid of him or her, great, done. That's not what Jesus is calling for. Both errors, making the demands less demanding and making the permissions more permissive, were intended to make obeying the law convenient. Now, I think it's important for us to examine our own hearts with this because we're the same. That's our tendency too. Do we use the law for our own purposes, for our own promotion, for our own comfort, and not God's intention? We should be careful. Listen to this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his Cost of Discipleship. I think it gets it really good. He he says, Jesus vindicates the divine authority of the law. God is its giver and its Lord. And only in personal communion with God is the law fulfilled. There is no fulfillment of the law apart from communion with God. And no communion with God apart from fulfillment of the law. To forget the first condition was the mistake of the Jews. And to forget the second, the temptation of the disciples. Communion with God, fulfillment of the law. They go hand in hand. That's why the Pharisees got it wrong. But we're tempted to do the same. To summarize here, the attitude of the Pharisees and what Jesus is condemning is to focus merely on our duty. What do we have to do? What's the least amount that we can do and still check the box? And not delight. Do you delight in God's law like the psalmist? Do you commune with God and know that you should live in a manner that God wants you to live, not for your own sake? Do we need to die to self? That's what Jesus says if you're going to be his follower. So, we need to hear this warning and fight the temptation. So how might we rationalize the same way? Well, Do you ever ask yourself questions like this? How far can I go before I go too far? Or how little can I do and still say that I did what was required of me? Do you try, in other words, to extend your freedoms in Christ? Or do you minimize what is required to please God? In trying to make the law easier, we're trying to basically get whatever we can for ourselves. Jesus, in an even harsher warning to the Pharisees, said this in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three: "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. That's a good thing, right? Tithing, giving of your first, the first fruits." But what do they do wrong? You've neglected the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. God calls for complete submission and obedience, not just in the areas that we like or we're good at. So where do you relax the commandments? Where are you tempted to give others a pass instead of teaching them what God commands? Are you more concerned with your own comfort and reputation than to live in a way that pleases God? Be careful, friends, be careful. We need to heed Jesus' warning here. Several years ago, I thought I would start taking the Sabbath more seriously Use that day for a day of rest and communion with God. That's reasonable, right? Respectable. Well, it is until a friend of mine reached out for some help to move on a Sunday. And you know what I did? I justified not helping her because I was keeping the Sabbath. That was an excuse, and it was sin. And I wonder how often we do that today. We should not be looking for loopholes when it comes to pleasing God. Are you looking for a loophole? Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's not what Jesus' people look like. So, what should they look like in verse 20, he says that we need to have a greater righteousness, a greater obedience, a greater faithfulness. This is Jesus' second hit of the Pharisees in his one-two punch, his knockout. Okay, They were relaxing the law. And now he says, you need to have a higher level of righteousness, a greater righteousness than the Pharisees. What does he mean? It seems like they had it right. They checked off a lot of boxes. For Jesus, we've already seen, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's all about righteousness. It's about pursuing that. That is what a follower of Jesus does. But here's what he's getting at. Christian righteousness, true righteousness, far surpasses Pharisaic righteousness in kind rather than degree. In kind rather than degree. Obedience, friends, is not about keeping score and one upping, right? So it's not about Christians saying, okay, our score is 614 commandments. We added one so that we could be better than the Pharisees in their 613. It's not that. It's a different kind of righteousness, it's a deeper one. It's one that flows from the heart, from communion with God, because you love God. You want to do what He's called us to do. It's motive and desire, not merely duty. The Pharisees were looking for strict correctness in a legal sense. But they were manipulating the law for their own good, for their own means. Just like me. Just like you. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom... You're going to have a radical obedience. And it's only going to come from being in relationship with me, who fulfilled the law and the prophets. The promises aren't banked on you and your righteousness. That is satisfied in Jesus. They're all yes in Him. But we are to walk just like Jesus commands us to walk in full heart obedience. So we have to evaluate our own hearts. Is our obedience from the heart? How do we know? What would it look like, Christian, to pursue righteousness in your relationships? Are there things that you would do differently that you're not doing? Are there things you would stop doing that you're doing now? What about pursuing righteousness with money you think you do well tithing mint dill and cumin pharisees did that and they neglected the greater measures of the law are we doing that do you think it's your money what about in your marriage you honoring one another Sacrificing for one another? In parenting? Do you get really angry with your children? What does that reveal about your heart? Where do I need to repent? Where do you need to repent? That's the law and the gospel, friends. It's good news, because in repentance, there's forgiveness. I'm going to end with this. This is the gospel. Isaiah 53. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's you and me, friends. We want it our way. We think we know best. We all rebel against the one who made us. God's story of redemption is that he says to you and me, those rebellious people, he says that in our rebellion, have you had enough? Are you dissatisfied enough in going your own way? Because for you, if you have, I have made a way. I have sent my son to pay and satisfy all the requirements of the law. Every single one of them. Ultimately, the penalty for your sin and your rebellion. He's done that in Jesus. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life without sin, untarnished. In complete submission to God, the Father. And in complete fulfillment of the law. And he died a death to fulfill the ceremonial law. It required an animal sacrifice. In Jesus, it's once and for all happened, friends. There is no other way. And that was the death that you and I deserved. And all of that in order that we might be reconciled to God. We might have a relationship. We're not condemned. So friends, you and I, we can continue on our same path of self-trust or we can see the folly in that and turn to Jesus. He's calling us to turn from ourselves and our sin and trust him. later in Matthew, he says this, it's beautiful. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. That rest you can't get for yourself. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, friends, follow him. Repent. And believe. This is where kingdom life begins. It's just the beginning. And that's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. For you who would trust in him. You come offering absolutely nothing. I don't care how good you think you were before. Or how bad you think you were before. Jesus comes and he says, I offer this for you if you'll trust in me. We offer nothing. It's pure grace. But he will change you. You will die to self. You will take up your cross if you're going to follow him. But that's easy. That yoke is easy. That burden is light, friends. This change that God will produce in you and empower you, you will walk in righteousness. You will be different. People who follow Jesus are different. Not perfect yet, but different. This is the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. And you can have that, but only through Jesus. Will you trust in him? To enter the kingdom of heaven means to come under God's rule. To become one of those who recognize his kingship and live by its standards. To be God's true people. By God's grace, we will love the law and cherish it. So that our lives are transformed by it. And look more and more like Jesus. (laughs) And that's going to happen until earth and heaven pass away. And all is accomplished. Will you pray with me? Father, we have heard your word. I pray that you would change our hearts now to love this word. To love your law and how Christ came to fulfill it perfectly. And yet to call us as followers of Jesus to walk in righteousness, in obedience from the heart because we love you. Lord, we need our hearts to be changed. We need to be brought to life and we need to be revamped and remodeled. And we ask that you would do that as we reflect on your word and continue worshiping now. We pray all of this because all the promises are yes in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.